during this season of Lent, we've been talking a lot about the abundance of God, the abundant love, life, freedom, and communion that is available through him. And we are all invited to be a part of his abundant kingdom. Last weekend was Easter, and Pastor Kiri spoke with us about the new abundant life that God offers to us, how he desires to take our brokenness, our woundedness, and he resurrects us, he restores us, and he gives us abundant new life in and through him. So were there any dry bones in your life this last week that were given new life in and through him? Today we're going to shift directions a little bit and think about how despite this promise of new life and blessedness in and through Christ, life doesn't always feel joyful and new, does it? Life is like an ebb and flow of joy, sorrow, pain, grief, happiness, lament. And sometimes we can experience a whole array of those emotions all in one given day. Or sometimes there are longer seasons that we walk through. And of course, worldwide, we're all still walking together through this viral pandemic. And it's really been a season of loss, I think, for each of us in different ways. Some of the losses have been very extreme. When we think about the worldwide death toll and how the pandemic has affected each person in some way, I think it's really staggering to think about that. Many of us have been personally affected by sickness or death or job loss. Others of us have lost hopes or expectations, stability. And I think we can all say that we've lost some sense of what our normal was before all of this. And in the midst of this strange new reality, some of us have faced other challenges that haven't even been connected to the pandemic. But because of the circumstances of the pandemic, the restrictions that are in place, and just all of the things that we're facing, maybe we haven't received the support that we've needed. Or our difficulties have just felt more difficult because of the circumstances. And many of us are still reeling, maybe still feeling isolated, feeling a bit of hope for a new normal that isn't quite here yet. And many may still feel the need to lament these losses from this last year. We've been through a lot. As our pastoral staff was discerning our direction here for the next few weeks, we thought this might be an appropriate time for us to do just that, to take time to consider where we've been over the last year or so. Where are we now? How have things shifted and changed? And as the people of God, 
how do we move forward? Of course, we recognize the pandemic is not fully over, right? And we don't know what the future holds. And we're kind of stuck in this sense of disorientation. Things remain different, and we're still navigating what that means moving forward. But isn't that the cycle of life that we all go through as we face new and different challenges and then have to reorient and find a way forward or a new normal? We're continually challenged with difficult situations and circumstances, whether it's on a small scale or on a large scale. And then we reorient and we settle into a new way forward. Yet as God's people, we remain His. In the midst of big and small challenges, and our hope is rooted in Him. This morning, we're going to spend some time in 1 Peter. And we're going to hear about what the author of this letter had to say to the early Christians. Now, it's important for us to know that these early Christians to whom Peter is writing, they were part of the Roman Empire, and they were beginning to face increased persecution at this time. Christianity was still new. So these new followers of Christ were no longer really part of their old communities. They really didn't fit there anymore. They were forging a new path, figuring out what this all meant to live as this redeemed community, as individuals and as a community, collectively. How were they to live in this world that, has take, that had taken a new shift for them? The early followers of Christ faced disorientation as they looked to God for their way forward. So we can look to the early church, and we can look here in 1 Peter today to gain direction for our disorientation as well. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 4 through 10 this morning. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
So if we put ourselves in the place of these early followers of Jesus, we would find ourselves kind of in a bit of a new world. They were scattered across the Roman Empire. They had left Jerusalem because of persecution and because they were afraid. They had dispersed. And they were being called to live as followers of Christ in a world that was either very Jewish or very pagan, but all somewhat opposed to Christ. Early Christians were persecuted. They were hunted down and they were killed. Those who had been Jews were trying to figure out how now to live in the ways of Jesus, this Messiah. This was their new normal, their newly reoriented way of life. And they may have still been a bit disoriented. Peter's reminding them of how to trust and to live and to walk in the way of Christ, that this is who they are now. And they're going to look different from how they looked before. They'll have a different worldview from the cultures in which they're living. And there are things around them that are not going to be compatible with their new lives of love and obedience to Christ. So if we back up just a tad here, prior to heading into this passage, we see in verse 2, Peter is instructing them in how they're to continue to grow in their faith, in a maturity as their faith deepens. And Peter writes that they are to long for pure spiritual milk so that they can grow in maturity and wholeness. And Peter compares this growing or this maturing into the building of a rock structure, a living structure. I have a bit of a fascination, I guess, with old buildings, rock structures and buildings. I love looking at pictures of cobblestone houses or old historic buildings that have stood the test of time. Sometimes these structures can be thousands of years old, and yet here they still are. They've lasted. Now, many of these kinds of buildings can be found in the Rochester area. Of course, if you drive outside of the city for any length of distance, you're going to come across lots of farmland, farmland that's been cleared of the rocks. But you'll still see these rocks built in walls around the farmland or the fields or the property. They're still there. And coming back to this passage, Peter is talking here about rocks that have been carefully shaped with tools, like rocks you would use and shape precisely for use in a building. Now, if you know much about building at all with stones or masonry, you know that the cornerstone is typically the first stone that is laid for a structure. And all of the other stones then are laid in reference to that first stone. The cornerstone determines the position of the entire structure. So if that cornerstone is off kilter at all, the entire structure will follow suit. The cornerstone is crucial. Everything else rests upon it. So this passage, Peter uses many references to stones, and it's all pointing to Jesus. 
For Christ followers, Jesus Christ is our foundation. And here Peter is calling Jesus the living stone. He is our source of life, our foundation. He is the living foundation who gives us life through our relationship with him. Jesus is our foundation. And for followers of Christ, Jesus is our orientation. He is our foundation. Now, we don't usually think of stones as being living, do we? Because they're not. But Peter is using this idea of living stones as a spiritual house built upon the living stone, Christ, through whom we are all given life and become living stones ourselves. So Peter is using this imagery here to remind the early church and to remind us today of our identity founded upon Christ. And we don't work to become this spiritual house. We don't build it. We don't toil away and work hard to achieve it. But it's the Spirit who brings this corporate house of living stones into existence. And when we know that when the stones are carefully crafted and they're put together and they're built into a structure, they don't remain as individual stones any longer, but they become a complete unit. They're unified into one body, one structure, one building. They're no longer individual stones. And this is the picture that Peter is giving us here, that followers of Jesus, that includes us, that we are this spiritual house. We are the saved community, the redeemed community. We're the church, a spiritual house of living rocks. And it's not just a building, but it's a body of people, a community in which God dwells. And this is who we are corporately with Christ as our foundation. And as we just read in verses 6 through 8, Peter uses references from the Psalms and from Isaiah to continue this rock metaphor. And he's emphasizing this idea of Christ being our foundation or our cornerstone. And he references Isaiah 28, 16, which reads, So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Psalm 118:22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Isaiah 8:14, he will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. So through these words, Peter is reminding us that Christ is our cornerstone, that we have a choice to place our trust upon this rock, or we can reject it and stumble over it. So we can choose to rest on that foundation of Christ, 
trusting and believing and honoring him, which leads to our salvation. Or we can remain as unbelievers who disregard the message of Christ and stumble and fall, resulting in destruction. So if we're to be this spiritual house built as living stones upon the living stone, we must be firmly anchored to this truth of who Jesus is and who we are as his followers. So as God's redeemed community, a spiritual house built upon him, our orientation or our identity is distinctly rooted in him. And that means that our identity is also as God's own people. We are God's own people. And in our Western culture, I think so often we focus more on our individual selves instead of community or people groups like many other cultures do. And as Christians, we most frequently think of Jesus as our personal savior. He has saved and redeemed me, each one of us as individuals. And that is true. But there's also a deeply important communal element for our faith in Christ, that we are God's own collective and unified people, not just individuals. And Peter writes here that all of those who follow Christ are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you hear those words for groups there? People, priesthood, nation, possession. These are phrases that Peter is using from the Old Testament. He's emphasizing this special collective unity that all followers of Christ now share. So as followers of Christ, we become grafted to Christ, and we morph into this new people who collectively share this intimate closeness with God. Our, is, our identity is in Christ, and we belong to him. So these early Christians to whom Peter is writing here, I think they probably felt a bit out of place. They were disoriented. They had kind of found themselves in this new, this new place, this new orientation. And I think people even viewed them as strangers or as exiles. They were different. But Peter is telling them, God sees them as his precious and special people, that they are his chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, God's special possession, and all are invited to be part of this group. It's no longer exclusively for the Jews, but both Jews and Gentiles are invited to be the people of God. And this holds true for us today as well. This spiritual house built on the cornerstone, Jesus, the church, we're not an exclusive club. 
all are welcome. All are invited to become one of these living stones, united with each other, united with us, rooted on this living stone. And collectively, this is how he sees us. We are his chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special possession. We are his precious ones who have received his unmerited favor that is offered to all. What if we saw ourselves, instead of just as individual believers who have gathered together just because we have our own interest in Christ and we share that common interest, what if we really saw ourselves as this collective body, a living body, founded on the living stone with his life infused in us as a body? What if we really embraced that idea? We're God's people. We are his covenant community, and we're called to embody and to reflect his goodness and his love and his light and his holiness to a world that doesn't yet recognize him. So yes, we individually reflect him as God transforms us and makes us into his image. But we also reflect him collectively, corporately, we reflect his kingdom together in a world in search of love and acceptance and belonging. All are invited to become one of these living stones founded upon the living stone. This is our orientation, our identity, our purpose as the church to reveal who God is, what he has done, what he is still doing, what he is going to do. Our foundation remains firm and he uses us collectively as a channel of this new creation work. As a church, as his people, we are to engage and participate in the life of Christ in his redemptive work as we love him and as we love others remaining firmly founded in him. So while this foundation remains firm as God's people, as his living stones, we do face disorienting circumstances like global pandemics, deaths, job losses, bullying, racial injustice, political upheaval, economic recessions, depression, cancer, daily stresses, uncertainties, worries, and I could go on and on and on. And it's easy for us to think, you know, we just want to go back to the way things were, whatever our, our normal was before the disorientation came. We want to hang on to the comfortable, the easy, or maybe what felt like the good old days. Sometimes when we face change or disorientation, we just want to hang on to the things, the way things were. 
we don't want to face this new orientation. Even if things could shift in a good or even better or new way moving forward. Because it's hard to reorient. It's hard, especially after hard times. But as we think back over this last year, and if we think about our orientation before the world stopped with this pandemic, what is God calling us to, both individually and collectively, as we move forward? And I think God wants us to consider how he uses our disorientation to form us, to reshape us, and to help us grow. God has been with us during each difficulty of the last year. He's been with us in our losses, in our lament, in our grief, in each difficulty and each disappointment. And while this last year has felt disorienting for us, his foundation remains firm, and we are secure upon that foundation, even when it feels like everything else has been shaken. He is our cornerstone. Our foundation has not changed. But how will we allow God to use our disorientation to form us, to reshape us, and grow us? Most of you know that I used to be an elementary teacher. I guess once a teacher, always a teacher, right? But I, I taught kindergarten for a number of years, and I would look forward to every spring when I would teach my kiddos about life cycles. And one thing that we always did, this is a jar of dried lima beans, in case you can't tell, but we would take lima beans, usually ones that were a little bigger than this, and we would soak them overnight to soften them up, and then we would place them in clear Ziploc bags with a little damp paper towel in them, and then we would hang them on the window so that we could watch them over time. And of course, over time, the bean would break open, the little roots would come out, it would start to sprout, and the kids could see this whole cycle of life right there instead of being buried in the dirt. And if you waited long enough, there would be a big bean plant then that the kids could take home um, and plant in their gardens or do whatever with. Um, but we would soak the beans to help that seed coat soften and come off just to speed up the process a bit for the kids. And if you look at a lima bean after it's been soaked overnight, the seed coat is all big and puffy around it. It's all wrinkly. It's starting to break open. And if you didn't know anything about seeds or beans or growing things, you might look at that bean and think, well, I think we've just wrecked it. How is it possibly going to grow anything from this state that it's in now? But it's part of the bean's life cycle, its cycle of orientation. It has to break open. It becomes undone before it can change and grow. It isn't destroyed it will reorient and it will grow into a new bean plant. A bean or a seed or whatever it is you're planting becomes disoriented before it grows into a new orientation. And I don't know about you, but in many ways, I think I have felt like a bean 
or a seed during this last year? Cracked, changed, maybe even broken open in some ways. And I'm still reorienting. But I was reminded this week, I'm reminded today that my foundation is secure. Our foundation is secure. We are rooted in Christ, and He is at work. For all of us, life is a journey, but we as a people of God, our faith is rooted or grounded in something bigger, because our faith and our hope is rooted in Christ. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a closer look at how the people of God responded when they faced really challenging, disorienting kinds of circumstances and how God remained faithful. God remains faithful. We are his people. This is our orientation, our identity. Even when we're disoriented, challenges confront us on a daily basis or when we face bigger crises, We can trust in this faithful one, whom Peter calls the living stone. And Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 reminds us of this also. We read, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. So today is your orientation planted firmly upon Christ. Are you trusting him in the midst of challenges and struggles and difficulties? And of course, this doesn't mean that life is going to just be smooth and easy from this point on, because we all are going to face all of the emotions that God gave us to feel. And we're still going to face situations that might even feel unbearable. But God hears our lament. And he understands our disorientation. And he is with us through it all. How have you been disoriented this last year? How have we as the people of God been disoriented this year in the midst of this pandemic, political unrest, racial injustice, other challenges that have come to light. And how could God form us, reshape us, and help us to grow into a new orientation as we recognize these disorientations and as we give them to him and we allow him to give us a new orientation in him. Let's pray together. Father God, you are our cornerstone, our foundation, our living stone. So today, God, we look to you. We trust that you have been with us each moment of each day as we have journeyed with you 
you have seen our sorrow. You have seen our lament. You have seen the ways that we have been disoriented. But God, we trust that our foundation remains firm and secure in you. So God, we look to you and we trust you in the midst of our circumstances. We ask that you would help us to reorient, help us as we move forward one step at a time, trusting that you are with us in each moment. You are a provider and you are faithful and you are good. God, we love you. We trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no other name. Our hope is rooted and grounded on him. As we close today, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to share the words of Psalm 118. The Psalms are a wonderful place for us to go in Scripture when we consider how we can be honest with God about our emotions as we journey through these cycles of orientation and disorientation and new orientation. So as we read, let's remember that our orientation is as the people of God. He is our sure foundation. And he understands the ways that we've been disoriented. He knows our lament, our confusion, our fears, our worries. And we can trust that he will work in and through our difficulties and help us to discover a new orientation in and through him. He's our foundation in the uncertainties of life. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. 
The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen. His love does endure forever. So as we leave this place today, let's go with the assurance that God is with us. He is our foundation. He is our strength and our song and our hope. 